Hi there and welcome to the Still Loading podcast, a space dedicated to exploring leadership for the digital age. I'm your host, Ilona Brannan, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Let's get started. Hi everyone, Ilona here. I've been reflecting on this week's episode and it's with William Wonders III and he is a content creator, a film editor and he creates documentaries and films and he has a particular interest in telling the story about black men's health in the United States and he is really, really interesting. And what it got me reflecting about was the fact that in leadership for the digital age, it's I think at this point, an imperative, it's absolutely essential that a leader becomes quite skilled at digital storytelling. Be that being comfortable on camera to maybe create a video to convey their message to their team or their organisation or, you know, to the general world. And also to learn how to be a creative storyteller in new media. And especially as we'll be working predominantly in a hybrid fashion right going forward I don't think we're all going to go back to being in the office 24-7 so being able to communicate clearly what your vision is for the future using the media that you have available to you is going to be really powerful and I think you know you could do it via podcast like I'm doing here or you could do it by video and the thing with the video that I think is really interesting is your brain doesn't really know the difference between a video or seeing someone in real life. And that can be really powerful as a leader to build a sense of connection with your team in a remote, asynchronous world, and to also build a sense of trust and uh, connection in remote digital spaces. I'll be going into this a little bit more detail, you know, in another episode, but I think this is a really good thing to think about while I'm chatting to William on this episode. So in what ways are you kind of crafting your storytelling skills? And we've got some other episodes from Stuart Bewley, for example, and Nick Elston, all about storytelling as well. So do listen to those if you're interested. Enjoy this episode. Thanks. Bye. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Still Learning Podcast. I'm delighted today to be introducing William Wanders III, and he is a film and documentary filmmaker and a great person to have on the show to talk about something that I know he's particularly passionate about, and we had a great catch-up before the show, so I'm really excited to get this started. So, William, can you just do a little bit of a brief intro for everyone, please? Hello, everyone. My name is William Wonders III. I am... The third. Please note, the third. (laughs) (laughs) I am a filmmaker, a writer, director, and producer. And I started off teaching kids film and video. I started off teaching too. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So much in common. So I did that as a for for at-risk youth. And it was always my dream. It was always my passion to do film and everything, anything concerning film and movies i'm down for like it's just been every aspect the writing the directing everything so i was teaching it to the kids and i thought i knew something until i went to film school so when i went to film school the first class took my knowledge of filmmaking from like 50 to a thousand i'm not even going to say 100 i'm going to say a thousand it took me that far and i was eight and it, all the dots connected for me and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing so I ended up going, staying in film school. Uh, I went to New York Film Academy. And then after that, uh, my school closed down. 
We did some contests with the kids. We, we got into Tribeca Film Festival for our documentary on Juliana Dogbazi, who deals with sex slavery in Africa. So we did a documentary of that, got, got in there. And then I did, I started doing my own films, sending them out to film festivals. And then I ended up t- taking my grandmother to the, <laughs> to the doctor after her traveling so much and didn't like the response from the doctors and took it to three, get three separate opinions. And it was at that moment I knew that I was going to do a documentary called Fixing Grandma, which is about the disparity between the black community and medicine. It's not something I planned to be in documentary, but I just fell into it. Yeah. And now, of course, you've got your project about black male sort of health and the, the challenges involved there. Tell us a bit more about the project you're working on now. The project is called Othello Rising. It's about the, the current state of health of black men in America, which is very dear to me because I'm a black man <laughs> and I need to be healthy. But I started seeing when, when I did Fixing Grandma, my, my, when I interviewed one of my uncles and he was talking about my grandfather and he said something that, that spurned this idea. He said, I never remember my father taking me to the doctors. And it, it was like, yeah, it's the same for me because my my grandfather was working on mta my uncles were working so i never remember a a male in my life saying hey it's time to get healthy so i I decided to say well let's let's take a look at it and i did the research and black men are leading in deaths in america leading in deaths in america i mean by a big margin so it was like okay i need to take a look at this so i've been in production on that for the past four, four to six months it's been amazing. It's changed my life. Part of the documentary is me also getting in shape physically and mentally. So it's been interesting, very, very interesting. And what have you discovered from your sort of research about why it is that men, black men in America are leading deaths? I think a lot of it stems um, from intentional, intentional control of the black family from slavery to Jim Crow laws. Um, a lot of that stuff has seeped through and is in the system. As you well know, the justice system isn't fair to black men anyway, but that comes from something. I'll tell you this. I asked one of the people I interviewed who was a, a historian, black historian, I asked her, I said, what was the worth of black men in America? You know, back in those days, slavery days. And she said, black men had two functions. That was make babies, and work in the field. So literally just like cattle, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's like raising people's awareness to even question what's been inherited before. When William and I caught up before the podcast, because I tend to meet people before they come on the show, we were talking about outcomes in health just in general. And I know that in particular, I've read about how black women tend to not be taken seriously when they're, you know, having maternity care and the challenges, you know, even Serena Williams, like the greatest of all time, tennis player had a huge amount of complications with her pregnancy and everything. And they, she wasn't believed and it's just mind boggling. Right. And it's just to actually raise it to people's awareness is brilliant, but then also to start to make those changes happen. Yeah. I think bringing awareness of it too, because it's like, those things are still in our system, like as men in general, but also black men, we're made to feel like part of us being a man is being able to provide and work. You know, mm-hmm. there's so much pressure on us and so many things that have, that have been done to us that 
taking care of ourselves is not a priority. It's making it's taking care of everybody else first, whether it's our boss, whether it's our family, even to the detriment of us dealing with mental issues. And you see it every day. Suicide rate is there in black men because we don't we, we don't talk enough. We don't you know, and it's because it's like, who, who do we trust? Because we're so busy taking care of people. Who do we trust? You know, what I mean, we can't go to our wives or girlfriends and tell them because we can't. I'll, I'll change it. We can go to them, but we don't want to appear like we don't have it all together like we're weak which is a a thing that that's been sold it's been sold to us you know what i mean it, it's throughout the years that's that's in men general but also especially black men not looking weak or not being able to cry or talk about your feelings and all those other things and i, I have my friend he's caucasian he's like he's like bro but this is this is a, a topic you know for all men i said yeah it is a topic for all men i said but your black counterpart is in the leading of deaths. So there's something else going on there, right? Right. What have you learned from like the like health professionals and the health leaders that you've been interviewing through this process? I've learned that a lot of us are getting healthy the wrong way. Okay. Like I, I've known people, there's people on Instagram, people, people who work out mm-hmm. and then there's health professionals. <laughs> that, that's a totally different thing, right? And even like, I mean, I've learned so much from health professionals to the point that I want to do a separate documentary on talking about the truths and lies of getting healthy. Mm-hmm. I was a person that was going to the gym and I was in the gym two hours. I'm in the gym two hours because I'm trying to get swole, you know, I'm trying to get jacked, you know, whatever. And I'm in there for two hours, but then the rest of the week, I can hardly work out. <laughs> You know, because I'm so sore. And the real truth of it is, is that I was I had unhealthy practices before the pandemic happened. So when the pandemic happened, it just it just multiplied. And so they taught me, hey, you gotta start off by making by making healthy a part of your lifestyle. I think a lot of us don't make it a part of our lifestyle. We do what we want till we get to a certain point. And then it's like, oh man, I, I don't put on 10, 15 pounds. All right, well, time to go back to working out. Do what we do, and then we stop. Do what we do, and so we're like, I don't know what's going on with me. My weight is always up and down. It's because you haven't made it part of your lifestyle. And I think a lot of things black men need to do is make part of a lifestyle. We make eating a part of our lifestyle, the way we eat part of our lifestyle, the way even some of us smoke or drink, we make that a part of our lifestyle. I got to have this. But if we can make that part of our lifestyle, then we can make getting healthy. One that the trainer said to me, he says, you can decide, you know what? I'm getting up at 6 a.m. and I'm going to start working out. And then he said to me, brother, you've been getting up at 9 a.m. every day. What makes you think that, that, that you're going to make any ease on yourself? He said, instead of getting up at 6, get up at 7, get up at 8. Ease yourself and make it a part of your lifestyle. I think that's one of the main things that, I, that I've learned. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because a lot of the, you know, behavior books that I read about, you know, be the best leader kind of things, it is about those gradual changes because the actual seismic change is really hard to stick because you'll do it for a bit, then motivation will wear out because motivation's finite. And so then you fall into the old habits because it's just you've like almost run out of willpower. So actually what your friend advised was just absolutely spot on. Just do a little bit mm. and get that in the right place and then a little bit more and get that in the right place rather than these massive changes. 
It's quite interesting. Would you call yourself a leader now in the black community with the documentaries you make and the things that you do? Or is that a strange title for you? I've been a leader in my in my church that I'm at. I'm a youth pastor there dealing with kids. I've led the group. I, I think I um I don't know. I, I I've never really thought about that. I thought what I my main goal is to be a creator and a producer in my community that provides platforms for my community to get better. Leader thing, I guess you can say that. It's not something that I that I think about specifically often, but I'm trying every day to be that leader, you know, because I'm not perfect. And the other thing, the other pressure, the stress, it, it weighs a lot on our minds, especially as Black men, a lot of stress really breaks down the immune system and things like that. And I think, um, you know, when you say, or you think you're a leader in the Black community, now comes all these stipulations, right? I have to be this, I have to be that. And people who've never led will say, oh, you're supposed to be this, you're supposed to be that. I'm like, you haven't led anything in your life. You haven't even been in the beginning of the line to go to the bank, but you want to sit here and put all these expectations, you know? But as far as being a leader in my Black community, I'm trying to be. I guess that there's a couple of things to unpick there, right? Mm -hmm. Is it that you can only be a leader in the Black community? Can you just be a leader? Do you have to have specific areas in which you have to be a leader? Or are you you just a leader? Like you say, are you a creator and you're sharing those, you know, you're providing a platform for people to share their stories and perspectives as well? Yeah, I I think it's a little bit of both. But if you're going to call yourself a leader in anything, a lot of people have the wrong definition of leader, especially when it comes to, you know, in in our Black community, a leader doesn't mean boss. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And people even have a misunderstanding of what a boss is. A real boss, a real leader is a servant to the people that that are following them or or servicing. You know, those people, he he or she is the, the servant to them and say, all right, I want you to do this but I'm going to do it first so you can see me, you know, and which, which is why I put myself a documentary of getting healthy because I was like, okay, it's not enough for me to say, Hey guys, you got to work out. You got to get healthy. You know, let, you know, come on, let's do it. That's Instagram stuff. That's some of these fake people on, you know, on Instagram or whatever social media, and they've never been fat. They've never been overweight. So they don't understand the psychological stuff that goes along with it. And even realizing, hey, I actually lost weight. The, those, All those things, they don't even understand that. I wanted to be that example for that. I wanted to be that leader and say, hey, if I can do it, then you can do it. I'm an editor. So it's like I'm, I'm at my table all day. If I can do it, then I know you can. Tell me more about the sort of weight loss journey, you know, because I think that's really interesting to think about, especially as a a black guy, right? No one would have thought you're even thinking about those sorts of things. And the thing is, it it needs to be thought about Mm. because a lot of times we're working, right? We're trying to get done. We're trying to get the work done. And so a lot of times we're just grabbing whatever we can for fuel. Right. And a lot of things that we're grabbing for fuel are not good for us. You know what I mean? And I think we need to go back to cooking at home, that kind of stuff. When I cook at home, my stomach isn't bloated. 
like I, I'll put it this way. That was my first issue when I knew something was wrong, right? Because I live in New York, right? You take the train all the time, things like that. It was a time where I was going to take the A train, going to work. And there's a portion, if you ride the A train, that goes from Brooklyn to Manhattan. There's no pit stops in between it. You just go from Brooklyn to Manhattan. Let me tell you something. There were times where I was sitting there. I was like, oh, please get to Manhattan. Please get to Manhattan. I got to use the bathroom. You know what I mean? I don't have irritable bowel syndrome, but it was how unhealthy things I was putting in my body that wasn't promoting healthy functions in my body. And your body will tell you. A lot of times we eat the same way we did when we were younger, but we're eating all this new food and bad things. And it, and my body was telling me, hey, as I started interviewing these, these health professionals, I was like, all right, I need you guys to give me a workout and I'm going to do that workout you know, for that week, do that, and then incorporate that with the other workouts that, that, that I'm getting. And so I can have something different each day, you know, things like that. And I just found out that there's a lot of mental stuff when it comes to working out. People don't understand it. A lot of conquering. You know, I said one day, I said, all right, I'm going to go walking every day. I'm just going to go walking every day. I'm going to do two to three miles, right? I did it. I completed it. You know what I mean? But every day that I did it, it got harder to get up. You would think by the third day or the second day, it would be easier, right? But each day it was harder to get up. But once I got up and started walking, the, the, the walking part was easy. I started losing weight. I learned how to breathe properly. A, a lot of us don't know how to breathe properly. We get in stressful situations and we just, you know, we don't, we, we're not even letting the air that keeps us alive in properly. And so I did it and I conquered it, but it was like, oh man, like why was it, what was the issue for me getting out my bed to putting my sneakers on to walking out the house? That portion right there, it just got harder every day and it shouldn't have been, but it also let me know that mentally I was going against what I had allowed in my life. I was going against what I built up this immunity to work <laughs> you know what i mean this 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 culture of giving myself oh, oh don't worry you work out tomorrow oh you work out tomorrow next thing you know it's saturday and as well as the weekend this is the time i eat whenever i want you know so it, it was the culture i think a lot of us have to change the culture that we've allowed for ourselves and be honest about that if we don't have to hit a brick wall it does happen that way, but we do not have to hit a brick wall to say, hey, you're stressing out. Hey, you're not doing well. Hey, you, you, your digestion has not been good. You've been gassy. Your body's talking to you. Stop ignoring it. It's not worried about what everybody else thinks as far as their expectations of you. You have to have an expectation of being healthy yourself first before you can help anybody else. Yeah, it's the classic thing about the air plane you know where they say you've got to put your own mask on first before you help anybody else and health is one of those things I think when you have it you can take it for granted and then when you don't have it you're like oh my gosh and it's very difficult to get back so 
for the listeners, I broke my collarbone <laughs> and I spoke to William about it. And I, it was the first time in my life I'd actually been so like badly injured. I'd never broken a bone before. And to be this incapacitated and to also have a reduction quite severely in energy and then having to deal with the pain and then having to deal with the whole ecosystem of my body being a bit off kilter. And I'm still you know, recovering now because it, it takes time because it's a bone. And it just really has helped me to reflect on my health because now I go to sleep religiously because I know it's good for my bone to get to bed and have a good night's sleep. Whereas before living the fast London lifestyle, I'm sure it's similar in New York where sleep, sleep is for when you're dead. And now I'm like, no, sleep is really important. I need it for function. <laughs> That's interesting because they, they say, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yes, you will. You absolutely will. But you might get there you might quicker. Get, you'll get there quicker. You know, I think also even that when, when we talked about it, it was like also the disconnect medically, you know, with black men and just people in general. But like we talk about your show, I'm like, there's there's some things that you need. Mm. But things like this, if you don't fight for it, if you don't speak up about your condition, that nothing will happen. You know what I'm saying? What you allow is what will happen. Like with my grandmother, her her situation, the doctor told her three times because she was tripping and falling. Then she started walking over, bent over. You ever see those people walk over and they're bent over and you got the cane? That's what she started to do. And I was like, and I've always seen it in my community. I was like, what? Not my grandma. She just finished traveling six months ago. We asked her, what was the issue? I said, well, she started tripping and falling. He said, well, how old is she? She's 84, but what does that have to do with what I'm talking about? Well, you know, this is what happens when she gets older. And that was his prognosis. And I was like, he must not know who my family are. My grandmother had 11 children. And those 11 children were on it. And I was leading the charge. Me and my aunt were lead, leading the charge. All right, she needs to go to the doctor. You need to find a different doctor. Went to the second doctor, said the same thing. A lot of times, yes, it's going to take you coming out of your comfort zone. If it's so easy, you know, everybody would do it. But you have to fight to be healthy sometimes. You have to fight with yourself. And sometimes you have to fight with the with the, with the doctor that doesn't want to help you as much as much as they can. And that's a whole nother conversation and situation. But stay on your family about being healthy, not being abusive. You know what I mean? Not talking to them abusively or Every time they're eating, you look at their plate and look at them and you're always staring at what they're eating and you think you think that helps them. No, it makes them feel bad. They know they're big. They, they know they're overweight. You know, it just makes them feel bad because they're already dealing with not being healthy emotionally, right? It's a lot of people emotionally eat. You think it's helping them by staring at them while they eat that, you know, their food and like, <sighs> no, it frustrates us. It makes us feel even worse. Let's say that person eats vegetables. It's, oh, wow, that, that's really good. You, you, you see, eating your vegetables, that's, that's really good. You got something green on your plate. Oh, that's, you know, that's really good. Hey, you want to go walking with me? I'm like, after we eat? Yeah, let, let's take a walk and, and talk after we eat. You know what I mean? Positive stuff, not the old stuff of how, let me stare at them and they'll get the picture. Why are you eating that? Yeah, and there's plenty of evidence to support the fact that positive positive reinforcement is really helpful. And then also, as you say, there's a particular thing in behavioral economics. I think it's temptation bundling or something like that. I could be wrong, but 
It's when you do something like going for a walk or to the gym or whatever with a friend. So you're having the fun experience of being with your friend, but you're also getting the workout done. So you're putting the two things together so that you get the thing that you find a bit more challenging to get done, done. And I think that can be really powerful to help you build a social connection, which is also good for your health, for your mental health and emotional health. Yeah. And you're also building your health in terms of walking and exercising and working out. Because I, I think a lot of people, they, they want to help their friends. They want to help their family get in shape. Yeah. But you have to look at your passion and love for them can sometimes come across as trauma and as abusive. I've had people walk up to me that haven't seen me in a while. Oh, it got kind of big. And they have no idea that I was 300 pounds before they saw me. Now I'm at 265. So now all I want to do is get back to my high school weight. Why? What do you need to get back to high school weight for? Your body's changing. Oh, I, I want to get back to how I looked when I was in college. Why? You're different than you were in college. How about we work on you losing the fat? That's another thing I learned health-wise is that there are doctors that have gone up to patients and said they came in, they lost two to three dress dress sizes. And the doctor says, but they weigh, they might weigh similar. And it's like, oh man, I thought you said you were going to lose weight. Well, they did lose weight. They, They lost the fat, but gained the muscle. And so now it just becomes, oh, just wait. No, weight doesn't mean you're unhealthy. You know what I'm saying? You have to look at what is the, the fat that you're losing and the muscle that, that, that you're getting. We get too caught up on you know, the scale and things like that. You know, Especially when it comes to black women and black men, you know, we tend to be you know, our, in our community more muscular regardless. Even talking about BMI, that's a whole nother thing that they still have not discounted. I found out that BMI wasn't even created by somebody in the health professional. Who was it created by? Mm. <laughs> Is it Kellogg uh, or something like that? He told me that he was created by somebody in philosophy. And then what happened was the insurance company back in the day, the insurance would use that to how much they were going to charge you. Oh, interesting. So it's got nothing to do with health. But I mean, if they don't talk about that. Any real health professional, when you say, Hey, what do you think about BMI? The real certified ones will go, oh God. But then the fake Instagram ones who who haven't been fat, they'll they'll be like, oh well, yeah, you know, blah blah blah. And I was like, yeah, but BMI doesn't work for all all communities and cultures. Yeah, true. Certain communities have different, have more muscle mass, are athletic, all these things. I remember one time they, the guy said to me, you, your perfect weight to the scale, whatever the chart was, was two, 210. And I was like, when I, I had, I went one time I was fasting, for, I did a 21 day fast just to you know clean out and things like that and for prayer and things like that. And I did that 21 day fast. Let me tell you something. I was down to 230 and I looked like, sick can you imagine me at 210 you know the misinformation in health that's another big thing why black why black men don't trust the medical community or even or even it should be trusting these people on, on these social media platforms it's marketing well you raise a really good point there because it's you know what we were talking about about that 
cultural disconnect between like the medical profession and then the communities that they serve. And also we were discussing about women and the the fact that sort of sex disaggregated data isn't sort of taken into account in medical practice. So for example, for the listeners, drugs tend to be tested on really healthy adult young men. And they're never tested on women who could potentially have a child. That's just the rules. They just don't do that. So of course, then every drug is based on a young male's metabolism. So there was this incident of, of lots of women sort of having almost like too much of that drug in their system because our metabolism slower. So it's just little things like that. And of course, within different communities and different backgrounds, you would have different outcomes. So like within in the UK, you've got more instances of sickle cell anemia in the black community in the UK. So it's understanding that different backgrounds and different ethnicities would have different needs and being able to cater for them from the medical profession. But instead, the standard human body is a young white male body. Which is ridiculous because we we process food different. And then we, we go back to the, the experimentation on black men and black women. You got the Tuskegee thing, things like that. Thing they're trying on women, especially black women. The racism that has gone throughout the system is ridiculous. I told this before when we first talked, but my grandmother was having a first, my grandma had 11 children. She was having a first child. And even my family members didn't know this, so she told me. She was having a first child. Her doctor wasn't there at the hospital. Very nice doctor, but wasn't there. So she's getting ready to go through labor and have the baby. And they asked this doctor, Caucasian doctor, hey, can you please step in for what you call it and deliver the baby? He said, no. He just, he just said, no. Now for, for the listeners, anybody who's, who's ever had children or, you know, people that have babies, they made my grandmother cross her legs to keep the baby from coming out. And any of you that have had children and things like that, or know people that have children or babysat or whatever, you know, that is detrimental to that child. But to insist because the doctor didn't want to do it, which is the first thing. But then the second thing is that you made her cross her legs. You know, the oxygen that's being shut off to that child. That happened to my grandmother. That happened to my grandmother, you know, and my and thank goodness he came out fine. And we pray, thank God he was smart, intelligent. My Uncle Champ, he's extremely smart, extremely intelligent, extremely creative and and it was like, thank God nothing happened to him, but how many did the, of these things happened? And the child was not okay. And how many are still happening? That right there, yes. That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think are some of the things that you would advise people today to kind of think about considering the health industry, you know, the health profession what would you say were the things you want everyone to be able to know from the research you did to to do their own research to take some time from watching television take some time from just your chill time and do some research on your family make a family tree of health what did grandma have what did great grandma have what did your father have what what did his mother have you know start looking at that stuff and start setting yourself up because the older you get the more your body changes 
You can't go around doing the same thing. I've heard people say this, and it's it's funny because I used to say it all the time. I used to say, I work better under stress. You know, I work better under stress. And it's something that, you know, I, I was proud of. Yeah, you know, I can handle it. But it's always nice to say, yeah, you work better under stress until you can't. <laughs> you know, that's it's all nice until you can't work under stress. You know, like me and my mom, we're so similar. Like we, we're the people you call when you need things done when it comes to traumatic things and, you know, talking to people, counseling people and in church and outside of church and things like that. And, you know, even dealing with grief, you know, we're the ones to call because we're able to bear a lot of people's emotions, things like that, and be there for them, you know, but it got to a certain point where, you know, I had to start telling my mom, you know, I'm like, hey, you're exhausted. You know, now my mother is, she's in the police department. She, you know, she came back to be a chaplain. She, she's just an amazing woman. I've seen her do great things, great things, which always showed me, let me know that, you know, women are amazing and they can do anything they put their minds to. And we should continue to break those glass ceilings for them to do so. But even even in that, she was, you know, the kind of point where she was stressed out. She was tired. Yeah, she took care of everybody. She took care of stuff. But yet when she got home, she was exhausted. She was tired. And so I know I have a little bit of that and I'm working on that. And so I'm learning to say no and take time, you know, for yourself. I want people to start looking at themselves and saying, hey, it's okay to be honest with yourself and say, I'm weak in this area. How do I get stronger? I'm weak in my eating. I'm weak in my working out. I'm weak in my mental state. Once you admit that, now I can move on and it's okay. This is how I can make it better. And it's about then taking those small steps, as we said, rather than thinking I've got to overhaul the whole system altogether. I think one thing at a time. And as you had described with your walking example, it's absolutely positively like normal to have resistance. You won't be chirper and like jumping out of bed. But it's the it's the persistence, I think, over time that makes a huge difference to the health outcomes. It's interesting because now every time I'm not feeling myself, see, a body knows what it needs and you got to listen to it. I remember sitting behind me at my, my, my work table, right? It's during the pandemic. I'm working, I'm ordering food, I'm eating, you know, just eating whatever, right? And I remember sitting there in my chair, and this is no lie to you, and I could feel myself leaving. And when I mean leaving, I don't mean falling asleep. I felt like I was leaving, like dying. And I didn't tell many people that, but I sat there and I felt myself going. It's it's, it's like in the Matrix, the Matrix 2, where Agent Smith tries to take over Neo. And he's like, what is that? That's exactly how I felt. And I sat there and I felt myself leaving. And I immediately popped up. I knew what it was. I was like, oh man. And the first thing that I did, the first thing that I did was put my sneakers on and my shoes and I went walking. 
I knew exactly what to do. A lot of us know what we need to do, but we don't do it. Yeah, we just come up with the excuses. You know? Yeah. And I think it's a culture of us feeling like we have to work hard. Unless you work hard, you can't achieve anything. You know, you got to be a grinder. You got to be a go-getter. You got to, you know, it's funny because we watch people like Rock, right? Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. And he's like in there, all right, let's get it. Let's get this work on. You know, you, you got to be hungry. You got to be pumped That man has been working out since he was a teenager. Yeah, I know. It's like part of his DNA. It's a part of his lifestyle. You know what I mean? And we're like, yeah, we got to do that. And it's nice to have the motivation. But when, but when you fail and you do fail, when you don't work out, you skip it, then comes the snowball effect of, oh man, I messed up. And now you're depressed. The rock is not saying enough for you to get motivated. And that's the thing we got to look at. He's been working out his whole life. He has a regiment. Not only does he have a regiment, but he's been doing it and he has experience, but he also has doctors. These people that are super healthy, things like that, they have doctors that they go to and say, hey, What's the best way for my body? What can I do? What are those things? And they have those secrets. They, they have those things that, that look at their body. And we're, we're just sitting here struggling. We're going to the doctor once a year for a checkup. We don't know enough about our bodies. I think you're absolutely spot on. I'm going to change tack slightly because I'd love to learn a little bit more about a leader that influenced you on your own sort of personal journey. There's this guy I met in college, right? We call him Ricky, you call him Fletch, but he is, he has his own, his own place in North Carolina, workout place, Temple Wellness Clubs. I remember in college, he's on the basketball team, great basketball player, but his body was always like, he was always, you know, he always had the, the abs. He was just really physical. And I remember watching him go through some stuff to get where he needs to get to on the basketball team. And he struggled, but he worked hard to get it. And it always inspired me. And so I stayed in contact with him. He's actually the last person I have to interview, but I will not interview him yet until I feel like I'm a certain place health-wise because I want to go there with the mindset and and to get through these first steps before I before I go to him. Now I can just go to him, that's fine, but it's something that I, I want to do to document the journey before I get to him. But we started this thing on Instagram where he would send a post out on Instagram and he would have my name or some of the people's name on it and put it in his post and it's just him in the camera. And he says, What's up guys? Doing this full body Thursdays. Did you work out? Did you, you know, and every time he posts it, I feel like he's talking to me because he is. And I think what makes him a good leader, in my opinion, and what makes him a good leader for me is the accountability. A lot of us don't have the accountability. A good leader provides accountability for you. You know, um, my pastor provides accountability. Hey, are you doing this? Fletch, he provides accountability. And I think a lot of black men, we lack accountability. It's easy for ladies to talk and like they do that regularly. But for us black men getting together just to talk and chill and say, hey, bro, yo, man, what's up with you, man? You're not, hmm. 
you know, not in certain fraternities and things like that, you'll have that. But regular, like regulars who are not in fraternities, who don't have that that male that black male structure around them, you know, it's uh, it's hard. We miss the accountability. And you have a really good point there around he tagged you on Instagram, right? So he's using digital technology as a way to build accountability, even if you're not next door to each other. So what are other opportunities you think there are to use digital technology to sort of develop leaders of the future? I think it's connecting, being able to being able to connect. Because the thing is like this, we can sit there on Instagram easily, Instagram or TikTok, and we could just scroll. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, Instagram and TikTok and all the social media parts, they're tools. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to make something like being healthy a part of your lifestyle, then why not bring it into things that you're already using? Like the Instagram tool and things like that. So now every time I work out, I post. You know, and sometimes I'll miss a couple of days of posting because I'm so busy, but it doesn't mean I'm not working out. But me looking at my Instagram, and so now I'm checking my why haven't you posted? Is it because you didn't work out in the past three days? Or is it because you've just been busy? Yeah, it's a way of building that accountability, isn't it? Using the tools for you. Mm. And there's lots of free resources, I think, on the internet to, you know, like YouTube, you can have loads of workout videos. But I think the other thing that you're saying is really important is that connecting. You're connecting with Fletch. He's, you know, posting to you. I think that's the missing link. It's not enough to just have a passive video. It's also bringing together almost like that example that I mentioned about temptation bundling. When you go for a walk with your friend or when you tag your friend in a workout post, you're just more likely to do it. And it's also somebody like Fetch, I I respect him. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you this. A lot of men in general, but black men, we're always... We're always seeking to be better men. Well, most of us, I'll put it that way. But what a real man is always seeing something great in another man and saying, oh, how does he do that? You know, how, how does he, hmm. And so if that man is hungry enough, we'll say, hey, man, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Good, but hey, how do you, you know, how do you do what you do? And most of the times the guy has no problem. Telling them, hey, man, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. I want you, you know, a lot of men won't, they, they won't tell you because of pride that, hey, I see something in this person. I need to hang around them. So you have that, which is good. We also don't want nobody using you. You know what I mean? But to also have the understanding of where a person is and being like, hmm, what can I learn from this person? You know, and don't be ashamed of that. And it goes back to the pride issue. I don't have it all together, but I see something in you that I feel like I want to have that would help me. Let me ask. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. And what I'd love from you is with all your knowledge from health and your experience of leadership and your own leadership journey, what are the three top tips you think leaders need to kind of be aware of today in the digital age? Everything is a tool because you have some leaders who are older who aren't really into technology and things like that and it may seem scary but everything is a tool it's just you learning it that that's number one everything is a tool i'm scared of it 
but there's somebody who knows this tool that is not scared of it. So ask them, ask them, teach me, or if not hire them, you know what I mean? But, but ask them, you know, the second thing is to understand who you're leading. Remember how it was for you when you were coming up. Okay. Because a lot of times as leaders, we get to a certain point and there are certain things that we shouldn't be dealing with as leaders after we've made it past a certain thing. Like I don't do that no more. I'm on an, I'm on this next level, but you should never be condescending to someone coming up behind you. So you remember where you came from so that you can help that person come up, you know what I mean? And give them the same opportunity that maybe you might not have had. Give them an opportunity that, 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 you know, you had to figure things out on your own. And so now the generation coming up behind you of leaders, you know, you, you can show them how to do that. My third one is stop following fads. When people talk to me a certain way, I can always tell when they switch, right? When they're talking to me as my friend, I call it when, when they're trying to business me. You know, like they're talking all regular, hey, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, you know, hey, can I talk to you about an opportunity? I'm like, okay, stop regurgitating what you see everybody else doing because it may not work for you. Find out who you are, find out what works for you. Find out if you're lazy. You have to be introspective of, of yourself. So you have to know who you are. And when you do that, then you can work on some things. Say, hey, I'm, I'm lazy. Don't just dismiss and be like, well, that's just the way I do things. And has it worked for you so far? And especially when, you know, in your research with health, right? It's almost like don't jump on the fads of all these health things because there's a new super berry coming out in 10 minutes. Basic 101s are fundamentally the same, right? The human body is the human body. Walking is probably a good idea if you're able um, to keep active and eating fruits and veggies. Yeah. Generally. <laughs> but definitely, I think what you said earlier about understanding your body, I think that's a really, really powerful thing to kind of reflect on. Like you knew that you needed to change because you got that indication from a body. And I do believe that your body has a, a wisdom beyond, you know, just your conscious mind. A good leader takes time to, to look at themselves. What was I like this month? What was I like last year? What, what do I want to change? One of the health professionals that I interviewed and that I'm working with, every birthday he has, he changes something so that he's healthier. Every birthday he, he does that. So last one he, he said he's going to do vegetarian. And then the next thing he'll be, you know, he'll be vegan or, or whatever it is for him to be as healthy as possible. But you got to be honest with yourself. Stop worrying about the outside and what people see because people are going to have their opinions about you regardless you have to look at yourself and say okay this makes me happy but i also need to be healthy so where is that you know what i mean where what are the things that i don't want to do to make me happy and what are the things that that i can do to keep me happy 
So where is that? And it's practice. You got to practice. It's like music. You got to practice staying in the pocket. Sometimes you miss, sometimes you don't, but don't be afraid to fail. If you fail, fail forward. Like my mom used to tell me, if you fail, fail forward. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much, William Wonders III. This has been a great conversation. Um, when will the documentary be released, by the way? I'm working on hopefully a Christmas date. The first draft is almost finished, so we're working on that, doing some more interviews and hopefully traveling. But I'm also working on a companion show to the documentary, working on that. Maybe it might be a YouTube thing or but it'll be about me traveling to different states and seeing what is being done for the health of uh, of black men and what they have there, and what they don't have there. Maybe maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just come out to the UK and, you know, see what's going on there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> We need you out here as well. No, absolutely. And I'll put in the description box below for everyone who's been listening, the link to William Wonders III's website so you can keep in touch with him and find out more about the research that he's been doing in this space. So thank you so much for being my guest on this episode of the Still Loading Podcast and for your wise words and wisdom. And I'm definitely going to find that happy, healthy balance. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support this podcast, please share it with others. Share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, anyone you think who might benefit from listening. Post about it on social media as well or leave a rating and review and please subscribe to catch all the latest updates and episodes. You can also find us on Instagram at Still Loading Podcast. Thanks and I'll see you next time. Bye.